Hello everyone, and welcome to Paranormal Archaeology. everyone and welcome to another episode of the Archaeological Fantasies podcast. I am your host, Sarah Head, and I am joined today by returning champion, Karen Stoltznow, and her wonderful husband, Matthew Baxter. Hi. Thank, thank you. Um, now, many of my listeners will know Karen because they, of course, listen to Monster Talk, and so they know that she's way more famous than I am. But not as many people may know who you are, Matthew. So can you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Absolutely. Um, I was uh, known for many years as just Baxter. Um, kind of had a, <laughs> a, a awesome. persona going there. Um, so I was just Baxter and uh, have been doing a paranormal type of research for probably about 30 years. And uh, the past, I would say, 15 years have been the the uh, the biggest years in terms of uh, notoriety, but uh, have gotten to see a lot of uh, different places and really kind of hone what it is that I want to do when it comes to paranormal research. And just to put it simply, uh, it's not the paranormal research, it's the research into the claim itself that has become valuable to me. I find that really interesting. So when you say you're doing research, are you working with a university or are you working on your own? <laughs> Well, that's I mean, because if you're working with the university, then we really are going to play the Ghostbusters music for this one. <laughs> uh, no, it's not like Paranormal State, where they're completely legitimate. Uh, <laughs> in terms, of, uh-huh. in terms of, of their association with Penn State. Uh-huh. Um, no, no, I, I've, I've given talks at colleges and universities, but I am not associated with any. The fact that I'm associated um, with a PhD wife um, is enough for me. Um, <laughs> That's funny. but, uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I, I'm the, it's the poor man's kind of research that I, so. Oh, it's okay. There's a lot of value in that. I just wanted to know, like, if I should be a hype in a college. It's like, yeah, these people are kind of cute, y'all. Um, yeah, that, well, he has worked with, uh, I mean, my, my work has been international. I've worked in Australia. I've worked all around the U.S. His work has been very local. So very focused on Denver and Colorado, but, uh, he's been involved with different research groups in the area. But he has, uh, I think, more of a profile than me in that he's been on Larry King Live. He's been on TV shows, documentaries. Uh, gosh, what's that one that you did for where you spoke about Cheeseman Park? Uh, I mean, oh all- yeah, that was um, uh, the, the ten most uh, the scary, big, scary places in America. It was on the Travel Channel. There you uh, go. So yeah, every every Halloween, all all of a sudden, I have coworkers that go, oh. I saw you on TV last night. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. crap. But, um, <laughs> nice try hiding. Yeah, so I, yeah, I've been on a lot of those different things. And I hate that. Sometimes I'll, I'll uh, look up a place on uh, YouTube. And um, in the research, search results, I'll see myself. And I'll be like, I don't remember filming that. Or <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we'll go somewhere. And I'll have people seem to acknowledge Matt and say, oh, your husband's that ghost guy. So he's actually pretty well known in Colorado. 
That's that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that, 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 you've got to... yourself like uh, a reputation going on here. I love the fact that you used to call yourself just Baxter. That's really funny. Because um, it <laughs> first off, Baxter's a great name. Yeah, and, like, and then of like course the TV show. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's either I'm either I should either be uh you know I should either look like a cop <laughs> or I should be somebody's pet. Um, <laughs> with that name, so that's funny. So now. One of the things that I, the reason I, I know about your work and the, the Chessman Park or Cheeselman Park? Che- Cheeseman Park. Cheeseman Park. Okay. Uh, and the reason that I'm aware of the Cheeseman Park thing is because uh, Karen has brought this up to me when we were doing the interview for Winchester House. And yeah. one of the reasons I had Karen on for Winchester House is because I've recently started a side project called Paranormal Archaeology where I look at human interaction with things that are considered paranormal because I, I myself am not a believer in the paranormal, but that doesn't mean that other people don't. And mm-hmm. how they perceive something as being paranormal often affects how they treat and talk about and preserve something. Mm-hmm. And she brought up that you used to work with uh, a ghost hunting group and you mentioned that you don't work with the group anymore, but you and Karen do go out and do some ghost hunting on your own, but now you're like free to kind of do it the way you want to do it. You're a maverick ghost hunter, because I'm going to throw that in there. Or even a four-year-old. <laughs> I think that's precious, makes, actually. Makes it kind of difficult, but it, I mean, we, we had an interesting turn of events this morning where he declared that he's a ghost hunter, and oh. this was no influence from us. That's I mean, funny. we're just not really talking about this around him because we don't want to scare him. He seems to really have a love for ghosts and werewolves and vampires and witches. Uh, but yeah, he just declared this morning that he's a ghost hunter. And so Matt started putting together a little Aww. TV show, didn't you? Yeah, we filmed our first episode this morning. It's called, uh, um, oh, I named it wrong. I just thought of that. I got to change the name. A Ghost Hunting Preschool is what I named it. Oh my um, god, that's so but funny. it totally it totally needs to be paranormal preschool. Um, that's perfect, yeah. But you better be yeah, careful yeah. because someone someone's going to do this now. Well, that's no, it'll problem. be out. I'll, I'll have it. I'll have it out. You know, uh, published and and on on YouTube tomorrow. So, uh, so <laughs> okay. You, seriously, you if you're really it. publishing that, I need a link because that's adorable. <laughs> I can't wait yeah, to no, see it'll, that. It'll be there. His uh, psychic is our cat Fanny. Oh. So she helps lead him, you know, to where the, the activity is. Um, and it, it was, it's, it was so much fun doing because, like I said, he has no idea what we do because we've mm-hmm. been just been mom and dad. We're really boring. Um, so mm-hmm. for him to do this and to do it in the best Zach Bagan's manner, uh, was just priceless. So. Um, See, I'm waiting for 20 years from now when he's got his own TV show and he's like Mr. Evil with his psychic cat and he's still doing ghost hunting. That's that's what I want to see. Very, very likely. <laughs> you got to do something with your quarantine time. So. Exactly. That's and right. hey, if we're getting yeah. a great new show out of it, uh, I'm there for it. <laughs> now, um, so are you aware of the work that April Busaw has done? April Busaw out of Vassar. Uh. That name's familiar to me, but I'm not aware. Okay, yeah, so I am. she did, uh, well, she does a lot of things, actually. She's a zoark, and she's a really cool person in general. But uh, she uses ghost hunting as a way of teaching historical archaeology. Uh, she uses it on campus, and she, I think, I don't know if she teaches it every semester, but I know she teaches it fairly frequently. But she'll 
spend the entire semester teaching her students how to use the equipment, um, how to ghost hunt in the, I guess, traditional sense of the word, you know, as, as per taps and that kind of crap. Um, and I mean that in the loveliest way. But she has also written several articles on uh, historical ghost hunting. Okay. And uh, I'll send you guys a link to the one that she presented at the SAAs. It's a condensed version of the chapter she wrote for Jeb Card's book, um, Lost Pyramid Found City. And okay. yeah, but in it, she talks about the the reason why ghost hunting and archaeology kind of go hand in hand is because... Um, the ghost of the ghosts of place, which is actually a term coined by Michael Bell in 1997. I know you're all so interested in that. And um, basically he was saying, and, and April echoes it, that it's the memory of a place that causes it to become haunted. So until the people going to a location have a memory or know the story, a location isn't haunted yet. How do you feel about that? Hmm. Well, I can understand it, um, and, and that depends on your definition of haunted. Okay. Because, uh, in, in, you know, uh, uh, what makes a place haunted is somebody believing that it's haunted, and that's that's really it. That's the bottom line. So if some place isn't really discovered or in the, in the public consciousness, it can't really be considered. It's, it's like kind of a Schrodinger's kitty that until you open up that box, um, you can't declare it haunted. Now, um, have you ever declared a location haunted? Never. Okay. Um, well, uh, what I have said, though, is talking about... <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Well, yeah, and this is important. <laughs> you're going to talk so, about the fondue place, right? No, Ooh, no, fondue. no. Uh, I, uh, this, is, this, is, this needs to be under, underlined here that Denver, like every other city in America, and I might even say every other city in the world, is the most haunted city in the world. Yes, I believe you. And that's that's... You know, every house, every, you know, let's look at it this way. If we want to talk about if, if someone has died there, that makes it haunted because a lot of people think, oh, somebody died here. It must be haunted. Well, there's really not a square foot of land on this planet that somebody hasn't died in, in the history of the world. No, I feel you, man. I'm in Philly. Our city's like 400 years old. We have stuff on top mm -hmm. of stuff. I mean, yeah, I get you. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah. So, so really, there, there's no place that's not haunted. I mean, you know, if you want to start a real investigation group, go out and try to find a place that could not be haunted. Um, that would be funny, and, actually. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and that would that would be more difficult because, you know, what haunts a place is really our own imagination. Um, and if, if we have this belief that anywhere that someone's died is going to be haunted, well, then good luck finding a place that's not. Yeah, no, I and mean, that, that makes it kind of mundane. No, no, no. But that, like, you, you have an that You make a really good point there is that, you know. We decide, we as humans decide what is haunted and what isn't haunted. And it takes an extraordinary, um, event to make a place quote unquote haunted. Even though most people, I mean, like we are all going to die. That's going to happen. Sorry, y'all. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people are very separated from death in general. Um, yeah. I unfortunately got to have these experiences when I was a child because my family started dying when I was still young. So, you know, it's very commonplace for me and my family, but there are a lot of people that don't or they were sheltered as children from it. You know, their grandparents died and so they, they didn't go to the funeral or that kind of thing. So, I think right. death is still an extraordinary event for us because we don't interact with it like we used to do. Um, and the truth is, 
there's more dead people than there are living. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, see, that's why we would never survive a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> they already outnumber us. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I, I think I remember talking with you uh, when we did the interview talking about uh, uh, the Winchester Mystery House. We discussed that some places have a reputation for being haunted. And I think the, the expectation that some places must be haunted because uh, they have a, a tragedy associated with them, as Matt said, someone's died there. Uh, but certainly a lot of places that have any history to them, uh, like hospitals or mm-hmm. hotels or derelict abandoned buildings, just have that vibe. Oh, they must be haunted. I think that's something Matt and I often say if we see a derelict building. We joke about, oh, that, that place must be haunted. So I think that uh, certainly any place could be haunted, but I think it's less likely to be maybe a brand new house that's been built and more likely to be some old derelict place. Right. Um, of course, you could feasibly say a brand new house has been built on land, which was a former burial ground or something like that. I'm sure that you come across that a lot with uh, native burial grounds and, and things like that. I know Matt has encountered a lot of, uh, claims that places are haunted because they were native burial grounds. Yeah, that's a that's a real popular trope, actually, and and that one I do mm-hmm. kind of that one I do kind of blame on movies, uh, but it does also like the whole fact that that idea comes from movies does kind of inform the idea that um, we make places haunted because. Mm-hmm. You know, now that that idea, oh, it's bur- it's a Indian burial ground. Okay, what tribe? I don't know. It's an Indian burial ground. Okay, do these people even <laughs> bury their dead? Because that's not even a common practice. I mean, come on. So, yeah. but if you think that it is, and that's all that really needs to happen, because now you're going to start putting pieces together to make you think something's haunted. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like you and I were talking about with the Winchester Mansion, it changes the way that you would treat it so if it's a with the older buildings and this is something that april has managed to do with her classes is um through teaching ghost hunting as historical archaeology her students have actually created a petition to preserve some of the historical structures on the vassar college and the surrounding area because those are places where they've gone and ghost hunted and so now they're more aware of the history of the location and mm-hmm. so now they see a reason to preserve it but these are also old locations so they're they're places that mm-hmm. already were acknowledged as having a history um mm-hmm. they're not like a new house or something like that but i mean how many haunted grocery stores do you know of all of them <laughs> maybe you should all question. of them <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've, we've come across a lot of stories. In fact, I just don't think, uh, there's a place over the years that Matt hasn't, uh, pointed out to me and said, oh, we've investigated that place, uh, or this place is reputed to be haunted, whether it's a, a supermarket or a hotel, uh, a staggering yeah. amount of places. Haunted hotels, I totally believe. Go ahead, Matthew. I'm sorry. Well, well, I have to say, we were uh, leaving a, a Target super center the other day. Really? And, uh, and of course, you know, we were social distancing and we yes, had masks we on. Yes, we were. On, so oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but as we were driving away, I did say, you do realize that that Target is haunted, right? That's hilarious. And, and Karen was like, why? I'm like, well, because about a mile away up on that hill, there used to be an old, uh, basically, sorry, unpeaced way to say it, but there used to be an old insane asylum. And it was uh, largely run by nuns, 
and there was all kinds of stories about what went on there. Well, they tore it down um, probably about 20 years ago, and about a mile away, they built a target. So obviously, the target's haunted. I mean, come on. Oh, that's interesting, though. No, that that's really interesting. Um, so you have a haunted modern structure that's haunted because of a structure that doesn't exist anymore and was distanced, but because yes. it's the the nearest building to the old location, it is now perceived as being haunted. Well, actually, there's a bunch of apartments that are built on top of it now. Oh, but the the thing is, is nobody remembers exactly where it was. Uh-huh. I remember because I used to live right near it, and I know exactly where it was. But a lot of people don't remember where it was, so everybody's her you know personal decision is where that building used to be. So you know, now this area is haunted because that's where I remember it. Or that's what I've heard through the grapevine that it was. No, see, that's also Um, really interesting because the the memory of a location, the memory is haunted. And and therefore it's mobile. Mm -hmm. Within a reason. Within reason. This actually reminds me of uh, a story uh, in a part of Australia that I used to live in called Armadale. It's where I went to uh, university, the University of New England. And there's this little playground which is reputed to be haunted. And I found out that uh, decades earlier it had actually been a cemetery. Mm-hmm. And then I think they relo- relocated the bodies. But this playground was now said to be uh, haunted by just, I guess, residual spirits. And it's interesting, too, because we often find that uh, cemeteries aren't – I mean, there are a lot of cemeteries which are believed to be haunted, but a lot of people also think, oh, the the, the spirits aren't there anymore, the spirits – have stayed in the the houses or the buildings where these people once lived, and that cemeteries are just barren in terms of ghosts. There's there's nothing there, just corpses and uh, that's interesting, and, and just mementos and and headstones, but no actual uh, ghosts. Of course, that that conflicts with a lot of claims that cemeteries are very very haunted places. Yeah, I was gonna say the first ghost hunt I ever went on, we went to a cemetery, and it was a whole production, and um. I took a friend with me. We were both like, what are we doing here? Um, very amateur group who apparently had just kind of gotten started and they were basically trying to recruit, I guess. But they all got really fascinated by this one tree in the cemetery that had a waving leaf. And they were just shouting questions at the waving leaf so that it could wave at them and answer them. And I'm like, it's the wind, you guys, for reals. And we, we just... But the reason we were in the cemetery is because it was a an older historical cemetery and it, again, it was purported to have, you know, the lady in white and other, mm-hmm. you know, the black dogs and the typical stuff that you find in the cemeteries. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we've been on a lot of good uh, history tours in various cemeteries over the years, mm-hmm. too. And uh, yeah, so I think they've got a lot of great history. But I think it is often the theory of people who consider themselves to be true ghost hunters that, oh, a cemetery is just not going to be haunted. You're going to find the ghosts elsewhere. Maybe it's, it's just, just not as interesting if the if the cemetery's haunted because nobody's you don't live or hang out in a cemetery all the time, you know, but with a house or a shop or a store or something like that, you've got people there, you yeah. know, for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe cemeteries are just boring. Only goth kids like yeah. them. <laughs> well, still plenty of stories associated with with cemeteries and. Uh, like a resurrection Mary, the, uh, who's attached to uh, the resurrection cemetery in, and I can hear you. <laughs> Sorry, 
Matt's changing rooms, and so now we're getting this reverberation. Oh, no. <laughs> having, to get, having to get water for Blade. Okay. Sorry about this. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> people people need to understand that, you know, this is what life is. <laughs> he's a co-worker. He's not a kid. <laughs> he's a colleague. <laughs> he's a thirsty colleague. So, yeah, you've certainly got lots of stories of uh, cases of uh, maybe a woman who returns to her grave because she's trying to uh, bring a message to someone uh, to if she'd been murdered or or something like that, um, you know, or cases of the, the vanishing hitchhiker oh, yeah. legends where a person uh, asks for a, a lift, a ride in someone's car on a freeway, and they want to be taken to the cemetery or a place near the cemetery, and then they just disappear around that area because that's their, their home in Quoty Fingers. Right, right. And they can't leave. It's the whole no, not crossing running water, which interestingly is something that we did on the, I took a ghost hunt when I was in uh, Texas. It was part of my research. And the thing that we did before the end of it was the woman who was leading it made sure that we all crossed running water because apparently negative spirits and ghosts can't cross running water, which is also a, a part of the whole Ichabod Crane story, uh, the Headless Horseman story. I recall. Maybe I'm just recalling Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, yeah, I think you have lots of lots of uh, people who have different uh, ideas about what you should do if you enter a cemetery to, to do a ghost hunt. But the things that you need to do to cleanse yourself so that you something mm-hmm. doesn't attach itself to you and you don't take it home. Yeah, I, the the ghost hunt that we did. I remember there was smudging and prayers. At the beginning, I think we just went home at the end. Um, I'm sure they all did something. I've been trying to get something to come home. Sorry. I've I've been trying to get something to come home with me for years. And (laughs) maybe they just don't like me because. I mean, did you ask Karen if that was okay? I feel like that's like pets. That's a decision that a couple needs to make. (laughs) She is the only one that's come home with me. Oh. I was going to say it's probably probably before my time. But yeah, I mean, uh, Matt, Matt is very much of the school of. You don't run away from a ghost screaming. You run towards it. And I've seen him during multiple investigations. If something happens and you watch ghost hunters or you watch, uh, uh, ghost, ghost adventures, adventures or any of those shows and they're always running screaming from whatever makes a noise. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Matt, Matt is always the first one I think to go in search of the, uh, the source. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Here's my, here's my thing about that. Have you ever seen anybody ever get hurt? I mean, a noise is not going to hurt you. A cold breeze is not going to hurt you. So why are you running away from it? I saw somebody turn around and run into a wall. Yeah. That's what's going to get you hurt. (laughs) That got hurt, yeah. I I wrote an article about this, oh gosh, maybe about 10 years ago. Uh, But really, in instances of ghost hunting, the only times that people are actually hurt, they're not hurt by ghosts of course they're injured because of something that they do maybe they are there was a case of some kids who were investigating railroad tracks because of legends that were associated with them and you can imagine what happened so there have been Mm. some terrible cases of people getting injured but really through their own folly rather than by being affected by a ghost although that is not what most of the clients and people we've dealt with over the years would tell you because i mean we've encountered some I mean, we, enough to do a whole series of shows like this, some incredible, ridiculous stories and beliefs over the years. We have got some anecdotes for you. 
all I can say. <laughs> I mean, I remember some of the, I mean, I wasn't with a ghost hunting group long, but I do remember some of the goofy stuff that we, we did. And like looking back, I'm like, maybe running down the stairs in the dark while carrying a, a infrared camera probably wasn't the smartest thing we'd done, but we did it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just that kind of a stuff. And yeah, I mean, if I were to fall and get hurt, it's not the ghost's fault. It's my fault. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to go to break real quick. And sure. when we come back, um, I would like to talk more about haunted parks because I don't know why, but that fascinates me. So. Okay. I hope everyone is enjoying the show, and I just wanted to take a brief moment here to say thank you to all of our supporters, those on Patreon, and those who like, share, and leave comments on our episodes. It is a huge help to us, no matter how you choose to support us, and without you, this podcast would not be possible. Paranormal Archaeology is an independent podcast and part of the Archaeological Fantasies podcasting brand, and so we're very reliant on people who support us. If you are interested interested in becoming one of those very appreciated supporters, go ahead and head on over to Patreon and look for Paranormal Archaeology. And if you just want to leave us a nice little comment, a five-star rating, or just give us your opinion, that would be very much appreciated as well. So thank you however you choose to support this podcast, and let's get back to the show. And we are back, and we are still talking ghost hunting, and... One of the things that Karen mentioned that you, Matthew, could tell me about is uh, the Cheeseman Park or Cheeselman Park. Yes. I'm determined to call it Chessman. Um, uh, it's and it looks like Chessman, uh, but it is it is Cheeseman. It is uh, named after after Mister Cheeseman, uh, Walter Scott Cheeseman. All right, and uh, he was the he was the water baron of uh, oh, Denver. There you go, uh, because Denver didn't have a good water supply, and he was kind of the guy that. That, that brought water to the, the area. Uh, very, very good at irrigation, I guess. But, uh, um, he was also a very rich guy that didn't really like people that weren't as rich as him. Oh, wow. And yeah. so he's kind of a grumpy guy. The same. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, he was definitely a one percenter and didn't like anybody else. But, uh, that's neither here nor there. But it, that's kind of the reason it was named Cheeseman Park, because after he died, his wife wanted some sort of positive legacy. So he, she, um, her and her daughter came to the city of Denver and said, we would like you to name this Cheeseman Park. And they said, no, we're going to name it Congress Park. Uh, this land was given to us, you know, through, through an act of Congress. We're going to call it Congress Park. And they said, well, we'll give you $10,000. And they said, well, we already told you we're going to name it Cheeseman Park. <laughs> so, um <laughs> So they went ahead and named it Cheeseman Park, but it, it's a great place because it was, uh, it was an old cemetery and it was actually built on a Indian burial ground. Oh, well, there um, you go. All right. So we've got one of these finally. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now this one actually is official. It was an Arapaho sacred land and it was taken away from the Indians. I should uh, other, otherwise known as, and I should say Native Americans, I apologize, but it should uh, be stated that uh, using quotey fingers in the air, it was given to the U.S. <laughs> government um, and uh, then given to the city of Denver through an act of Congress. And during that time, as, as you know, a lot of us know, there is uh, a, a kind of a thing that goes with having a really beautiful cemetery. It was kind of a status symbol. 
Mm, the city to okay. have a really beautiful cemetery. People like to go there and have picnics. Yeah, and, so it's one know. of those. It's one of the decorative ones that was real popular in the 19th century. Absolutely, nice. absolutely. Okay. So it's a really big thing. So, so Denver was very excited because this land was beautiful. It was kind of up on this knoll, and you could see the city of Denver, which was about two miles away, which is pretty far. Yeah. Uh, in in those days, and but since it was a sacred uh, land before that, there was a stipulation. That if they were going to make this cemetery, they could not dig six feet deep because they could disturb the bodies of the Native Americans that had been buried there. Hmm. That's so interesting that, that they would give that stipulation. Yeah, they did. It was a stipulation that they couldn't go below three feet. That's a really shallow grave. That's yeah. a really shallow <laughs> grave. And the other fun thing is the dirt was bentonite. So it liked to move around a lot when it got wet. Hmm. And, uh, we get a good rainy season, and those bodies are rocking and rolling, oh, moving around. No. <laughs> so that makes Cheeseman Park a very interesting place, uh, because with it being two miles away from Denver, there was no good source of water out there. The, the, the upkeep was definitely not taken care of. So it, it fell into disrepair in a fairly short amount of time. Mm. And uh, it was ugly. It was very ugly. There some of the old pictures of the place is just broken down, you know, headstones. So it's a great place for people to go out there and, uh, you know, dig up the bodies and steal jewelry off of them and things like that. So a lot of grave robbing was being done. Yeah. So a really nice, gruesome kind of uh, history. But then it gets worse because... <laughs> says it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> one, one half of the, the, the government... Um, wanted to move the bodies to a different cemetery. Right. And they wanted to, they were going to make this into a park. So that was decided. It's going to be a park. But one half wants to move the bodies, and the other half says, no, that's not a good idea, because then we're, we're exposing the public to, you know, dead bodies coming up and whatever diseases they might have and everything else. Tuberculosis was all the rage back then. Yeah, okay, so, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, so they're saying, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. But uh, they went ahead and started moving bodies. And there was a big mining accident in Utah, and so they had to ship out. They ran out of, of ran out of caskets, and we had to ship out a bunch of caskets out to Utah. And uh, so the undertaker out here, he's trying his best to get these caskets, you know, that he has filled. And the problem is, is he's running out. So the city of Denver tells him. Now, the thing is, is today's urban legend about it is that this undertaker was evil. Uh-huh. He was evil, and he's pulling up bodies and breaking them apart and throwing them into different caskets because he's getting paid by the casket. Um, well, of course he was getting paid by the casket. That was his job. <laughs> well, but yeah. the thing is, is he wasn't being evil because they told him, you know, uh, use these children's caskets. And he's like, the bodies won't fit. And they're like, well, break them apart and use two caskets. <laughs> so he's kind of, now this is what he's got to do. It sucks. But, you know, so he's doing it. He's, Again, it's going. But the problem is, is pretty soon the newspapers get a hold of it and they report what this undertaker's doing. They report all the grave robbing. They, you know, uh, I, there was at one point, um, when they were moving a bunch of the bodies over to the other cemetery that they didn't want to give this high valued real estate over to these unnamed bodies. So they threw a bunch of them down near the, uh, the river basin and, uh, there was a big, uh, big high river that year and a bunch of the uh, bodies came uh, 
kind of floating down. I was wondering mm-hmm. if that ever happened because that was a th- that's yeah, a thing yeah. that happens in uh, New Orleans or did New Orleans, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, it did. So um, right at that point, the the government said uh, the Denver government said that's it, we're done. Just seal it up. The bodies that are there can stay there. The rest of them, they're that's already done. So they sealed it all up and just pretended like it never happened. And there's still between, oh, two and 5,000 bodies Good still Lord. out there. That's a big mm-hmm. cemetery. And yeah. Oh, it was huge. It was huge. And uh, there's a bunch of houses that are built, you know, on top of where the old cemetery was. And they don't know because they think it's just Cheeseman Park. But no, it's Cheeseman Park. It's Botanic Gardens. It's several blocks of houses around all the way around. So it was very big. And uh, so it makes for a very interesting kind of thing, because there was one day where there was a woman who had a house several blocks away from Cheeseman Park and uh, her dog comes running oh, in, the, no. in the house with a, pel- <laughs> with a pelvis in its mouth. Oh, no. <laughs> I knew where that was going as soon as you said that. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's really interesting. And, uh, yeah, people are always finding body parts and everything out there and they panic and they call the police. And well, yeah, the police, the police are like, where are you at? Or, out of Cheeseman Park. And they're like, OK, put it down. <laughs> we'll be out there when we get there. Yeah. So it's it, it's so what you're saying situation. is if I've got to dump a body, you know where to go. I, I know where like, to go. And, and he's actually and said as this- much. <laughs> yeah Before, we didn't have this conversation nudge nudge um but uh yeah and, and the the movie the changeling actually takes place uh well it was written by a guy who lived there on the edge of cheeseman park but it the the movie is set in seattle at chessman park but uh-huh. it, was, it was actually cheeseman park in denver and it, it also uh was one of the inspirations behind uh poltergeist as well oh great okay well, that, that's neat. I mean, like, not as many people probably know the movie Changeling, but they definitely know the movie Poltergeist. Right. So. Okay, so that's interesting. Um, I had questions, and then they just all flew out of my head as soon as I opened my <laughs> mouth, because cool. it's been that kind of a day. You should talk a little bit about the work that you did a few years ago uh, with the... Um, uh, the, the and I'm thinking, yeah, the... Yeah, the... The, uh, um, the mortuary. Yeah, it's it's not the... Not the... Uh, not the um, coroner's office but uh, they call it something different these days uh something, city, something uh, more positive yeah, the, the, the more like the city examiner the something oh, examiner. i can't oh, remember now yeah the yeah because <laughs> they don't want to say you know coroner's office but uh yeah we uh heard on the news of all places that while they were excavating a part of um the botanic gardens to put in a new parking lot right that they found like 13 bodies oh wow uh, and then it was, uh, right after that, while they were redoing part of the, the garden around the pavilion at the, uh, um, at the Cheeseman Park that they found a bunch more bodies. So called up the, uh, the medical examiner. That's it. The, there you go. the city medical examiner called them up and said, Hey, you know, um, we'd like to come and take a look at these, uh, bodies that you dug up. And they were like, oh, okay, um, and who am I talking to? I'm like, uh, yeah, this is uh, Baxter with Rocky Mountain Paranormal Research. Click. Oh. So <laughs> I called them back. I mean, to be fair. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I understood. Yeah, I would have hung up on me as well. Um, <laughs> but I, I wasn't thinking fast and come, up, and come up with a better, you know, name than that. But uh, I called them back and I said, look, here's what we want to do. You know, we want to tell the true story behind this. We want to bring in 
the a forensic team from uh, Metro State University and uh, really take a look at these bodies and, you know, d- try to determine how some of them died and, and get a real history, let these bodies actually talk. Um, and they were like, okay, that's cool. So we did. We got uh, a forensics team from um, the Metro State University to come down with us. Now how did you manage got- How did you wrangle that? I have no idea. You know, the best way to, to, to be able to wrangle things is to not know that you shouldn't. Or not okay. Because I'm like, point. this is not something that, what you just described here is not something that the average person is usually even capable of doing. I mean, there, there are laws. Um, not that, you, not that I'm saying you broke any. I'm just saying there's, they're, they're odd law. I couldn't even do it. Oh, and I'm an archaeologist. There should be laws against a lot of things I've done, but, and there, ha- there actually are. Um, Anyway, you can edit that out. Anyway, um, so oh, no. uh, we got to spend uh, two days with uh, the, the dead people at Cheeseman Park, and it was a great time. Uh, I have lots of pictures I can send you. I'm sure you'd find them very interesting. Uh, actually, and, uh, no, but I appreciate the thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but well, talk about archaeology, though. I mean, it was, it was absolutely yeah. fascinating. It really was. And it was, you know, I... I I spent the day getting to to work next to these uh, these very learned people um, cleaning dirt off of bones uh, with a toothbrush. Yes, yes I think um, they were in physical anthropology. Yeah, that that sounds about was right. It? So, yeah. were, did you guys put your findings together, and was it published or presented? Yes, yes, it was. Um, and and somehow I think they managed to leave out. Uh, Baxter and Rocky Mountain Paranormal Research Society, but um, <laughs> that's no fun. But that's okay. That's okay. It no, was, no, it that's was not okay. Actually, I, I, I'm going to take a stance on that one. If you're working with people, you put their damn names on things. Um, and, and I, I agree with that too. But he has been involved in other projects too. I don't know if we've got time to get into it, but he did some work with the Stanley Hotel. Uh, oh, you were mentioning that, yeah, 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 Colorado site, and uh, actually worked with the USGS in doing uh, some work there, and you were actually named in their report, weren't you? Yes. Okay, yes. Good, um, good, good, good. And, and it's, it's nice to be named in a government report where I'm actually not a suspect, so, <laughs> um, but actually a contributor. So it was very cool. But, yeah, we, we were watching, uh, you know, we were actually, uh, I'll say in quoting fingers again, friends with um, Jason and Grant from Ghost Hunters. And we're watching an episode of Ghost Hunters, and they're up there at the Stanley, and they put forth this theory that's, you know, a, a very strong theory that uh, because the fact that the hotel is built on magnetite. Oh, I remember this. It, yeah. That that it creates the, the proper sort of uh, magnetite quartz and limestone mm-hmm. together, create this sort of resonance and, and, and mm-hmm. actually allows for a piezoelectric effect mm-hmm. to allow paranormal activity to manifest. Uh, that comes and, directly out of a movie called The Stone Tapes. Well, what's really funny about that is we immediately called them and it's like, get on the phone with Jason. I was like, where did you get this theory? And he's like, oh yeah, we were talking to the guy in the gift shop there at the stand. The guy in the <laughs> gift shop. Good so, job, like, guy in the gift shop. <laughs> research right there that yes, is how you yep. do your research you talk to the guy in the gift shop but you know um, actually I'm, I'm gonna i'm going to defend taps here uh that's actually how you do research um i would have liked to see them back that up with some exactly. actual science it needed some follow-through yeah but yeah but it, i mean i appreciate that they like this is one thing that ghost hunters do so much better than i think a lot of researchers 
maybe not archaeologists because we are sort of kind of trying to do this, but they are not afraid to talk to people and, and talk to everyone. Like, and they don't mm-hmm. care. Most ghost hunters that I've run into or groups that I've hung out with, they don't care how crazy you are. They want to talk to you and they want you to be crazy. Like they want to hear it. <laughs> and I think that's great because you get a lot of really good information that way. Um, in archaeology, especially in CRM, you know, we, we talk to the landowners and, Sometimes they're uncomfortable conversations, but most of the time they're really friendly conversations and you can learn a lot. Like you can learn that you don't really need to survey an area because it's been bulldozed and rebuilt. It's like, well, mm-hmm. how come find shit there? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> saved myself yeah. an hour yeah. and a half. <laughs> we do yeah, see value in that. I think for, from the perspective of, uh, you know, gathering anecdotal evidence and folklore. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, right. So I think it is. Everybody's got a ghost story to tell. Maybe exactly. They really want to tell the ghost, uh, the ghost hunter. You know, they really do. Well, and, and I'm a connection with the place. I'm a big proponent of ghost stories as oral tradition or, uh, or as modern yep. folklore. And I find value, uh, obviously, I find value in both of them. Um, so I think that it, within looking at haunted locations and again, researching, uh, the paranormal through an archaeological lens you have to talk to your informants and your informants are the people with the stories and they're not going to write this stuff down and a lot of them are passing down a story that they've been told even if it's just a story that's only been around since the 90s it's still a story that's being passed down orally Mm-hmm. Or they read it on the internet and now they're telling you it. Well, they're not going to remember it word for word off the internet unless they're reading it off their phone. And even then, I'll bet you that started off as an oral story, too. Yep. So I, oh, oh yeah. I mean, if it, if it wasn't for folklore and oral history, we wouldn't have been doing this for the past 20 odd years. Yeah, There'd exactly. Nothing, nothing to do. And I, exactly. I'm, I'm really interested. And I know this was, this would be almost impossible to trace back, but I would really be interested to find out some of the, the stories that have real staying power, like the, I, I just found out about the piggly squeal or something like that, which is the Pennsylvania monster du jour. And it's, it's this, this pig shaped monster that's all warty and wrinkly. And if it sees its own reflection, it gets so sad, it cries itself into a puddle. Is wow, that not the saddest freaking monster? Um, I've heard wow. that, yeah. But now I'm like, where did this even come from? Like, this is not your typical monster in the woods story. So, like, where where did this piggly squeal or whatever the hell it's actually called come from? So, I, I'd love to be able to trace it all the way back, but I know that's, like, damn near impossible. But the same thing with ghost stories. Like, how far back can we trace the ghost story? Not to find out, you know, the truth of the ghost story, but do some of these ghost stories literally go all the way back to contact you know are these stories that native americans were telling settlers and they've gotten passed down that way and they've just kind of morphed as they've been passed down and updated as they've been passed down and if that's true like do those stories go even further back into prehistory and you know that kind of a thing are these moral stories that we're missing the moral of that kind of a thing well i i do i do want to go somewhere with that but i i, I want to finish the uh the stanley story really quickly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um because there's a an investigation that uh um, that, that Karen led me along on that I want to talk about that we actually know the beginnings of the story. Oh, um, nice. Great. But, uh, anyway, with the, the Stanley, after we heard that the story game came from the gift shop, um, <laughs> we, we uh, emailed the, uh, the USGS and said, have you done a soil survey around the Stanley Hotel? 
And they came back and they said, no, we haven't. We haven't been able to get within 10 miles of there. And then, you know, knowing anything about soil, 10 miles is huge well, yeah. for knowing what's there. So um, they said, uh, can you get us in? So, <laughs> so the, yeah. So again, yes, yes is like, hey, hey, Ghost Hunter Group, can we come in and check on your stuff? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, you about the, it. U, the U.S. government <laughs> is asking us if we can get them into Stanley. That's so fine. again, this is a case where if you don't know, you shouldn't. You can usually get away with it. So yeah. we did. Um, we got a hold of Stanley and told him what we were doing, and they said absolutely. And uh, so we brought in. Um, the USGS, uh, several other, you know, departments within the, the government, uh, came out, brought their, um, ground penetrating radar and, yeah. uh, we had soil, soil scientists. And we had several other, um, uh, so some sort of induction device. I can't remember all the, the, the equipment that they hauled out there. A lot of it had to be flown in. So we cost, you know, U.S. taxpayers a bit of money on this. Uh, you're welcome. But uh, I'm okay with it because that means that we got some good data. So I'm I'm perfectly fine with this. Did. And they did, yeah. Yes, we found out that uh, most of what's there is schist. Um, <laughs> of course it is. And uh, yeah, you can imagine the jokes that. Yeah. Oh, I've heard. I've I've heard most of the schist jokes. Yes. <laughs> yep. But they really go well with the Stanley Hotel. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, so, so it's very interesting that, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, the dirt was, did have magnetite quartz and limestone ground up in it. Mm-hmm. Nothing that could be used to make a piezoelectric effect. So, cause you, you can't, you can't have, can't have power to make a piezoelectric effect. You need to have an actual conductor, you know, uh, conductor. Yeah. So it's not going to work. But the fact that the report said that there was these three things present, even mm-hmm. though it was powder, uh, that was taken and run with to create a documentary called The Stanley Effect, a piezoelectric nightmare. <laughs> Which nightmare. Matt is on, and that's worth seeing because those were his long hair days. Yes, I, I am on in that documentary, and I did not know what it was going to be called and what angle they were going to use when they did it. But, that's uh, funny. Um, they do actually have us debunking several things in the documentary, so that's cool. Well, that's nice but, that they did yes. that, though, because a lot of times yeah. they just kind of ham-fist that shit. Yeah. Well, the rest of the documentary is all about how terrible the, you know, the Stanley is for, you know, you really want to take your children there after seeing this. But, um, the thing is, is the guy who made this, um, uh, Bill, um, yeah, what is his name? Uh, I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but it'll come to me later. Um, he is also the guy and, and he is nothing but a bad documentary maker. That is his schooling. He went to the school of bad documentary. Okay, then. <laughs> and he, he got a degree there. Um, but when they came up with a little show called fact or fake, he somehow was on that show as their scientist. Oh yeah. We were and, talking about uh, this watching skin Walker ranch, uh, the other day too. It was like the, the building of, fake credential that then becomes authority and now mm-hmm. you you have manufactured an authority for things that you need them to be in oh yeah like yeah. i need a quote scientist hey ancient mm-hmm. aliens guy you're a scientist right yeah, yeah anyone exactly. can adopt a, a title like that and and fudge their qualifications and uh, we've seen all kinds of things over the years i mean matt over the years has amassed a collection of various qualifications haven't you i mean what are you you're a saint i am a and saint a, yes and, and the 
se- several doctors, not not of the us kind, but <laughs> <laughs> I have a few doctorates. Yeah, yeah. This um, is why I'm going to start uh, insisting that people call me magistrar because I'm <laughs> I'm taking it back, taking it back. You should. You yeah. totally should. I'm magistrar um, head. I don't but have yeah, a PhD you're... in evil, but I will one day. But, uh... <laughs> what, what else have you got? You, you were like a, an archbishop or something? I, I can't remember. I can't keep up with all the focus. Oh, yeah. I, yeah it's, it started off with me, you know, just because tr- I wanted to see if I could get tax benefits. Nice. I became a reverend. <laughs> um, and, and there was no benefits, but uh, I thought it was cool. Hey, I'm a reverend. And then I found out that a lot of people are reverends. So I decided, I, I think I have got Jedi Master I'm certified in. Um, Reiki Master. I am a Reiki Master. Uh, I I got that through a gentleman in Great Britain who uh, did it through the power of his mind, made me a Reiki Master. Oh, okay. Um, and I, so I got that. Uh, That's little, distance little learning right there, man. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um so I, I've I've got a lot. I just do. I have a stack. Demonologist, of just the I think. Stupidest things. Yes. Oh, see, demonology that would be a fun one. Oh, I need to get a demonology one. That's a good idea. <laughs> I can get a certificate. Please, like I can hook you up. You could probably just print me one off. You know. <laughs> and that's true yeah. too. Yeah. Yep. That's all these are. That's all these are. They just, just got to believe. <laughs> yeah, you just kind of believe that's it. But uh, but uh, let me hop over to that other story uh, about uh, knowing the origins. Well, actually, uh, before you do that, uh, let's go to break real quick. And when we come no, back, I want to do it now. Well, I mean, <laughs> go ahead. now for us, it's only going to be like 10 seconds from now. But let's go to break real quick. Oh, and then, point. yeah, I do want to hear this tra- tracking down the origin of a story. I hope everyone is enjoying the show, and I just wanted to take a brief moment here to say thank you to all of our supporters, those on Patreon, and those who like, share, and leave comments on our episodes. It is a huge help to us, no matter how you choose to support us, and without you, this podcast would not be possible. Paranormal Archaeology is an independent podcast and part of the Archaeological Fantasies podcasting brand, and so we're very reliant on people who support us. If you are interested in becoming one of those very appreciated supporters, go ahead and head on over to Patreon and look for Paranormal Archaeology. And if you just want to leave us a nice little comment, a five-star rating, or just give us your opinion, that would be very much appreciated as well. So thank you however you choose to support this podcast, and let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, and we are back, and I'm still talking with Karen Stoltz now and her husband, Matthew Baxter. Just Baxter. Just Baxter. <laughs> it's like being just drag. Are you guys watching Skinwalker Ranch? Am I the only person We're doing this to myself? We're going to start tonight because then I'm so interviewing sorry. you on Sunday. You so. are. You need, you need, yeah, you have to. I'm going to tell you now if you have the option, speed it up, watch it at like time and a half. Um, oh. <laughs> it's very slow. Anyway, uh, when you do watch it, keep an eye out for the guy named Dragon on there, and then you will totally Dragon. get my lame ass joke there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Matthew, you were telling us about some research that you guys managed to do to actually track down the origins of a story. Yeah. Well, we, we heard that there was this cemetery, um, Silver Cliff Cemetery that was supposedly That's a pretty the name. most haunted cemetery in the world. Yeah. And it just so happens it's here in Colorado. So we thought, oh, well, this is great. This is perfect. Let's check this out. It's very convenient. Um, now, yes, very convenient that it's here. But it was, uh, what was it? Was it a Time magazine 
the, the, the rumor was that it was a Time Magazine article um, from, uh, there were, what, 1960s there was, or something? Well, there were several sources. There was supposedly a New York Times article and also a National Geographic piece which had, had actually investigated the claims and proven that this place was haunted. Oh, well, if Nat Geo says it, then it must be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, it's an interesting place. We actually... I think one of the reasons we came across it was because we were doing some work into uh, uh, Mormon, uh, not Mormon, um, polygamous, Mormon. fundamentalist Mormon compounds that were out that way. So oh, wow. just for a, s- a small country town, this place has got a lot, hasn't it? <laughs> we may or may phenomenon. not have, yeah, we may or may not have broken into a, a fundamentalist Mormon compound. Um, While there were still people there or after the fact? Well, we don't really want to talk about it. So okay. Let's just move on. <laughs> no, they, they, they had gone, but yeah, it was uh, formerly owned by uh, Warren Jeffs oh. and and his group. And uh, yeah, it was just very interesting. We, we did go through there with a real estate agent at some point too. And uh, they yeah, it was uh, a different kind of, time. Yeah, yeah. Glossed over the idea of the, the swimming pool that was downstairs, and which was obviously a baptismal pool, but yeah, just a very, very creepy place. Wow. Actually, that's kind of cool. (laughs) It's the only place that I've been in that I felt like this place might be haunted. Oh, Um, wow. That's funny. It was creepy. In terms of memories and experiences, absolutely. I mean, there were just little things that were left behind, uh, and and you could really see that those those women who had lived there had not had pleasant experiences. See, now that's yeah. something I might want to ask you about later, but we'll, we'll talk. We'll, ne- sure. we'll negotiate that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so anyway, we, we go out there, we check out the cemetery. Now, what the story is, is that there were these dancing lights in the mm. cemetery mm-hmm. at night. And um, they were thought to either be from Native Americans, uh, you know, spirits. Of course. Or from the old silver miners that were walking through the cemetery with their lanterns. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, it was it, so dating back you know, to the 19th century. Yes. Yeah. 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 So um, to fast forward a little bit ahead, uh, Karen, I'll let you take it. Um, oh, so we, uh, which is, this is actually in Haunting America. This is one of the stories. So I, mm-hmm. Sarah's probably familiar with this. Oh, yeah, but um, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you tell me the story again. Yeah, it's it's just a really fun place, and it's interesting too in that it has it, it is reasonably well known every time that we've gone there and we've probably been there about half a dozen times you get people coming through from all around the world that's how well known this place is it's just this out in the middle of nowhere in colorado and uh you do get a lot of uh legend trippers coming through Mm -hmm. and wanting to experience these dancing lights well i think the dancing lights i think it actually popularized the idea of dancing lights in cemeteries because i know we've got at least two cemeteries around here that have quote-unquote dancing lights but i'm pretty sure they're not nearly as famous as this one well oh yeah you've got ghost lights and all the related phenomena as well uh that's thing Will of the Wisps, exactly. Yeah, we've done a few episodes of, of those, uh, talking about those for Monster Talk. But uh, the stories have become more and more fantastical over the years. It nice. started with these bouncing lights, and nowadays people will talk about uh, all these kinds of phenomena, just uh, blue flames and oh, yeah. uh, dancing lights of all colors that you can see across the sky. Uh, what, what are some of the other claims? I mean, they're what just are these people really on? I mean, not to be mean, but... Uh, so it, it just it morphed from this original idea of these bouncing lights to so many other different kinds of things. But uh, anyway, so we spent a day at uh, History Colorado, 
and uh, going through all of the archives there. And we went through the archives of the, was it the Wet Mountain Tribune, I think? Yes. Yes. Going back to uh, the, the 1950s. And we actually found the original source of these stories. Okay. And it's really interesting going through papers of that time too, because just reading about oh, the, yeah. the quality of news stories, it's you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith came through Silvercliff and uh, they drove in their uh, blue Chevrolet and, and just hearing about the, the boring uh, kind of uh, yeah. They I love the ads the best. The, the ads are always the best. Yes. Like, lots of, oh, lots there were some classics. Yeah. Fun stuff there. But, uh, so it was just interesting that we, the, the stories were going back to, a, just anecdotally, going back to the 19th century. Uh, and yet we went back to, through the 1950s. And I, I think it was 1957, maybe? It uh, was, it was a, 1956. 1956. And it was a story about, uh, a bunch of, I think, teenagers that had, had driven through town and seen these dancing lights in the cemetery. But the actual story, so this original source, and everything went back to this original source, the the original source explained that these were reflections coming off the, the marble tombstones, uh-huh. and they were reflections from, from car uh, headlights. Um, Which would be why they weren't seen before, because the automobile probably wasn't that big. Yeah, so not, or they weren't uh, polishing their tombstones yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either or, it is amazing that there have been so many stories which have come out in major newspapers and magazines since that never referenced that original source and therefore just perpetuated the folklore. And uh, even even the National Geographic story wasn't a National Geographic story. It was a letter to the editor or something, wasn't it? Nice. No, no, no. It, it, was, it was a story. It was uh, mentioned, it was, a, I think, a 40-page article uh, called Pot of Gold or something. And it was just a travel article travel about log. Colorado. And right at the end, uh, the, the author spoke about these dancing lights and actually explained what they were. But it was within a paragraph. And But if you listen to all of the claims and you go and you read about this online, People will talk about, oh, this was an investigation. This was a forty-page investigation into the dancing lights. But no, it was just a. It was a mention in a single paragraph, and it already debunked it and said these are just lights. So uh, it's just really interesting that over the years this has been treated so many times that people have, by and large, just perpetuated the the legends. And I mean, there are just so many theories out there about it still. No, but I see that that, that, like totally supports my 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 argument, though. You know, you've got this story, and then basically a game of telephone occurs, and Mm -hmm. and people are passing the story down. You know, I read this thing in the Nat Geo because they didn't have the internet in 1950s, so um, you know they're passing these stories down. People are still seeing these lights. They're trying to explain the lights, even though they've been explained. Nobody ever goes that far. You know, you're you're passing these things down. Willow wisps have been in graveyards for a long time, and the yes. what's the other one? Foxfire, I think it is. Oh um, yeah, phosphorescence and bioluminescence. Right. People thinking, or oh, maybe it's uh, wooden uh, tombstones or, or like crosses that have uh, been disintegrating and creating light, and yeah, uh, or maybe paint uh, that that is like a phosphorescent paint on on wooden tombstones or crosses so yeah lots of different theories but you get people who uh the, the cemetery is open at all hours so you get people who go and camp there overnight and, and that's crazy with, yeah then you have to deal with uh, you know prisoner cinema or the, the phosphines in your eyes creating 
light um, from from being in darkness for so long. Right, right. Um, but but people don't under. I mean, I'm not I'm not slamming people. People don't understand how their bodies work and how their brains work and how you know mm-hmm. the the visual communication works between your eyes and your head. Um. So yeah, our, our eyes are trippy and effectively everything we're seeing is a hallucination anyway so just enjoy it uh but (laughs) it's that kind of a thing and so they try to explain it with these stories it's the same thing our ancestors used to do and then you know we just pass these stories down word for word and now we have people traveling from all over the world to go to this one cemetery in the hopes of seeing these incredible light shows that have obviously morphed from being what they actually are to like the aurora borealis has apparently taken up residence there um (laughs) Just and we've seen it. It is. It's really fun to see, uh, but it's nowhere near what it's you know, cracked up to be. And and the the stories and the lore. Uh, I mean, you see the lights across the the shiny tombstones across the marble, and you can immediately tell where these lights are coming from. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly certainly a fun thing to to witness. Um, but the interesting thing is too that you can still purchase plots in that cemetery. So if you want. To purchase a plot in a haunted ceremony, it's the haunted cer- uh, cemetery. <laughs> you could get one for about a hundred dollars or one hundred and fifty dollars, I think. That's cheap. Yeah, they're pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah, they are pretty cheap there. But I mean, this is the whole reason why, you know, in the beginning, I said that it's more fun to investigate the claims than it is to investigate the ghost. Yeah, and and that's and I'm kind of with you on that. I the ghost when I'm when I'm doing the paranormal archaeology, I'm not really looking into the ghost or the object itself like the the history the the actual history of the object debunking it isn't the goal what i want is to i want to know the history as the as is is it perceived and i want to know how the anthropomorphation anthropom whatever i'm using two big words how uh, <laughs> The changing of the object from being a mundane object to an imbued object, how that is a changing the way it's treated. Um, there's the idea that as an object is given basically human traits, like it's given thoughts and feelings and desires and wants, we interact with it differently. You know, um, I was, I was speaking with a gentleman last night on, uh, Indiana uncovered or unexplored. Oh, crap, I should probably figure out what that's called. Anyway, we were talking about altars that people have and how sometimes people have altars and they don't even realize they have altars because, you know, it's that spot in your office where you've put all your little knickknacks and gigaws, but and they're just sure. like, you know, little things that you found or that has a, a pleasant memory or makes you giggle, but you have yeah. an emotional attachment to each one of those objects now and yeah. you've created a shrine in in mm-hmm. your office or in your home or wherever you do it. It may not be as elaborate as an actual, like, Buddhist shrine, but it's kind of the same effect. The objects themselves are not necessarily haunted, and you may not think that, you know, the lucky penny, maybe you don't really believe the penny's lucky, but you're still hanging on to it. You know, you're Mm -hmm. treating that penny differently than the other pennies in your pocket, because you think there might be something to the penny. So... The, the whole oh, idea yeah. that this one cemetery is being treated. Of course, I am surprised that the plots are so cheap. You would think they'd charge more. Um, but it's yeah, just, just, yeah, the land is being treated really differently. About it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would agree with what you're saying about shrines and altars. I think people typically associate those with something like organized like a Catholic church mm-hmm. or um, maybe associating it with voodoo. So they don't think of what they do mm-hmm. as, as the same thing. They don't frame it that way anyway. But you'll see the same thing in um, 
haunted locations and landscapes. Um, you know, where I'm in Pennsylvania, we have some of the, the big, the big haunted places here. And if you go in, there are people who like will leave items for specific entities that are supposedly haunting those locations, like toys for the children, flowers mm-hmm. for certain dead individuals. And it's, it's in the hopes of communicating with this person. And so they've created a shrine. I don't know many people that would walk up to one of those shrines and take something from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can give you a quick example. Jamini Ramsey gets things stolen from her gravesite all the time. But one of the interesting ones, Ugh, uh, and unfortunately I'm in this movie too, this movie called Jamini's Tricycle. Um, oh no! And uh, I'm in that one as well. Unfortunately, but uh, yeah, uh, her her after her um, her tricycle was still kind of sitting behind the house as the police were doing all the investigations. Yeah, it was right around Christmas. It was. I think it might have been Christmas present. I, I think it was. But, uh, yeah. So they they stole a couple of the the, the big uh, candy cane decorative candy canes that were in front of the house, and they stole this uh, tricycle, and then. Uh, on the what 30th year anniversary or whatever it was recently, they made a documentary about it because they still had the tricycle. And, it was uh, interesting the way that they got you involved. Um, that you've yeah. heard of psychometry, Sarah? Have you heard of that at all? Uh, have I done psychometry? No. Oh, have you have ever you heard, heard of, of psychometry? Is that is that the one where you take a picture? Oh no, it's close. It, close. It's where you have an object and uh, you think that you can do a psychic reading of that. To mm-hmm. tell information about the person who'd own that, whether it's a pair of earrings or a, a tricycle or something like that. There so you go. There you go. These, okay. Uh, yeah, these uh, the producer and the director got Matt involved and tell Sarah, Sarah the story. Well, they brought several items uh, over to the house for us to do basically a reading on to see if we could tell whether they were haunted or not. Um, and they they visited a bunch of different psychics to get. You know, to see if any psychics could, you know, read any of these objects and tell if any of them uh, were special in any way. Now, how were you guys, how were you determining if they were haunted? Well, we we were going, well, that's cool. Um, (laughs) I don't know if it's haunted, but it's cool. I think it's it's the mere fact that someone brings objects to you and says, what can you tell us about these? Uh, You immediately think, well, there's going to be some interesting story that's associated with these. And uh, so the different psychics and people that they had doing these readings, some of them actually got quite close hmm. to what to the, to the actual story of the murder. And uh, yeah. I think it just it's cold reading, as we'd call it in skepticism and critical right. thinking, where you're just presented with something and you think, well, this must have some meaning, and you start coming up with all kinds of uh, possible generalizations. Well, especially if they were if they recognize the items, like the tricycle, I'm sure is fairly recognizable if you're familiar with the story at all. Not, not at, not at all. I mean, because oh. that's the thing is nobody really, nobody really identified it. Huh. You know, I mean, at the time of the murder, it wasn't something that was paid attention to. In fact, the tricycle was basically discarded um, there in the backyard and not thought about hmm. uh, by the the you know mass consciousness. So. It was uh, just one of those things where, you know, someone brings in these objects and says, okay, you know, what's going on with this one? Did something terrible happen kind of thing? You know, this is the vibe you're getting, that, yeah. that all these objects, there's something screwed up about them. Um, and, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, um, so it is kind of funny. A lot of these psychics fell for it and were, were given, 
you know, oh, oh, there was definitely abuse here. Oh, and I'm getting this, this poor little girl, you know, because it's a pink right. tricycle. Duh. Yeah. So you're picking so, up on it based on the traits of the object. Exactly. And it's so, and it, also, it kind of also the person that you're reading, too, if someone's handing you this and, and you can just interpret their responses. Right, to right. If they're giving you tells and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Their, their tension and everything. So, you know, when they, they put it on the table, I was like, well, I don't know what it is. I don't know where it, come, where it comes from, but you want to sell it? Oh, no. <laughs> because I know there's a story here, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I mean, that was one of the things we, when we did the Cheeseman Park, uh, thing, we ended up with a ton of casket hardware, um, and, uh, different things like that, that were just really cool objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, what we ended up doing was auctioning a lot of them off for charity because people, they couldn't give the stuff away. When the medical examiners tried to give it to the museums, they tried to give it to, you know, different, uh, you know, history organizations, nobody would touch it. So we immediately took it and we were able to just make a ton of money for charities, uh, just selling these, these things from Cheeseman Park. That's weird. So, well, I knew there's a, when there's you a, that tricycle in, oh, yeah. Or something. <laughs> well, that's the thing, like the, the whole, there's like that whole black market of people who are like, uh, what are they, death collectors? I think they're called. I don't know. I saw it on yeah. a CSI episode once. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that tells you how much research I've done into that. Uh, but yeah, there, there, that is a real group of people. Um, what's his name? The, the guy from Paranormal Adventures or whatever it is who has the haunted museum. And- yes. Oh, God, they're, there, there are several of them. Yeah, he's got a museum now in Las Vegas. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's also the haunted haunted collector, which is what's his name, John Zappas. Yes, uh, and he he has a museum, and uh, I think the Warrens had a museum. The too, Warrens do Annabelle have a museum. And- I would love to go to the Warrens Museum. Oh there, yeah, well, there are things I want to see there. Definitely love to check these things out. And years ago, I wrote an article about uh, this industry, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a, a big movement on uh, eBay and Etsy where people were selling things that they'd stolen from uh, from from uh, cemeteries and just all kinds of morbid curios. And Don't steal and things. things from cemeteries, people. That, that was the thing that we were disappointed with in regards to the Jean Benet's tricycle documentary because towards the end of the documentary, they returned the – well, they took the tricycle to her gravesite. And so we thought, oh, that's nice that they've returned it to the family uh, and they've put it back where it should be. And that was just, I think, for show because oh, they, so they had kept brought it. it along. They kept it. They brought it along to the documentary. And so it was just a little bit ugly to us that they were touting this thing about as this kind of gruesome cu- curio. Uh, and we think that pers- we personally think it should have been returned to the family. It was their property. No, I, I 100% yeah. like I don't agree with that at all. But. I did. You do I, now have I this. did. Um, ref- oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. I did refer to the filmmaker. Um, at at this premiere, I did refer to the filmmaker. Um, up on stage in a very uh, unflattering manner for keeping it. <laughs> yes. Well, so, you know, you shouldn't have taken it in the first place. Like, yeah, it's like it, I looked like it was returned to the grave, and that was kind of there was something very touching about that ending. And then mm-hmm. here, here we are in this movie theater doing this premiere. And you have it with you. And ta-da, and they produce it. It was yeah. disappointing. And I'm like, to me, that makes you a bit of a sick. And, um, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, they um, did steal it, and they've, they've gone yeah. on record saying that they stole it. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's kind of where I'm getting hung up. It's just like, but you stole it. <laughs> it's not like it was right. given to you. You stole it. 
just yep. thinking in terms of if I had been the mother, I would want it back. So, yeah, yeah, that's I, a I whole think, other know, story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's not well, in the purview of my show, unfortunately. <laughs> right, right. Indeed, yeah, that's for another topic, another day. <laughs> and of course, they had that weak sort of excuse of you know, well, it was going to get thrown away anyway. And, well, then yeah, wait for the know, damn thing to get thrown away. A, that's how that works. <laughs> and the family happened, and so it was just. So oh dear. I left that, you know. Well, I, idea that they. Yeah, we know. Uh, hang on, guys. You're you're both cutting up really bad. Since I did distract you now, I do need to wrap up the show. So maybe maybe this is the spirits of the internet telling me that it it's time to wrap the show up. If you have managed to make it to the end of this podcast, I thank you greatly. I hope you have enjoyed our discussion. If you enjoyed this, please give us a thumbs up and definitely write a review for us. Those reviews really do help other people discover the podcast and basically gets our name out there. So that would be a huge help if you could do that for us. And if you feel like going the extra mile, the extra step, feel free to contact us at paranormalarchaeology at gmail.com. And also check out our Patreon. Everything that we will be doing for both the blog and the podcast will be early release on the Patreon. So if you want to get a hold of this stuff before all of your friends and like to listen to these podcasts before your buddies and you want to seem slightly more informed than the average person, go ahead and go subscribe to us on Patreon and you too can have early access to all of our podcasts and all of our blogs. So thank you again for listening. This podcast is part of the Archaeological Fantasies podcasting brand. Please feel free to look up Archaeological Fantasies at archiefantasies.com. You can reach us by email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. That's A-R-C-H-Y fantasies, all one word, at gmail.com. And we're really looking forward to hearing comments back from you. So feel free to leave them below or email us. This podcast was produced by Sarah Head and the Archie Fantasies brand, and our music is provided currently by Kevin McLeod and Incomptech. And once again, thank you for listening. <laughs>